Good morning. <clears throat> we'll be in uh, Romans chapter 14 if you want to turn there. Meanwhile, um, Pastor Kern in his message a couple of weeks ago brought out an interesting weekend. And uh, I thought, you know, it would be good. Pictures are worth a thousand words, is what we've heard. So I'm going to share some um, PowerPoints with you this morning. And uh, Christopher, if you'll put up number one. <laughs> this is our uh, roofing weekend, and there's an example of what we look like. It doesn't come off as bad. I think they've already cleaned up there a little bit. And uh, um, so anyway, and then number two, there we are all at the sink uh, cleaning up. And uh, our, uh, and then the, in the last one where we're eating our last meal, um, what took place is not only was that the dirtiest job as we uh, had to take shingles off and then cedar shakes that had been on there for since a house had been built. Um, but the hosts had a water problem, and there was only a little trickle of water that went down the sink. So here's five guys getting filthy during the daytime, and uh, then could just barely clean up enough to uh, be able to eat. Um, their house stunk so bad that they had to burn candles to be able to overpower the smell somewhat. And uh, I returned a few months later and uh, to help them in this area, found that the uh, drain pipe had rusted so bad that the crawl space under their house was pretty much an open sewer. The roof was a dirty business, but fixing their plumbing was even worse. Um, and up to this point, and uh, Christopher, maybe you can find a better picture to put up there now until uh, uh, we end with a couple of more pictures. Uh, I don't know if uh, you guys want to look at five or six dirty guys eating for a half hour or so. But uh, up to this point, you think, well, Pastor Dan's been fairly uh, entertaining this morning, and that's uh, what we start with, but I've actually been leading up to our text today where most of our focus will be on Romans fourteen nineteen. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Again, it's been interesting that Pastor Kern and our messages have uh, kind of coincided uh, as Paul talked about the same thing in different portions of Scripture. And uh, this is where Pastor Kern was the last time he spoke. But building up, to edify means to build up, to build up. Uh, we were building up on a roof. But, of course, edify here means that of building up of one, the building up of one's faith. In our context, edify 
means to spiritually edify another, spiritually edify others uh, by whatever we say or do. We can get really caught up in words alone, and the church has, on thinking that that's all it needed to build up one another. And that's not what Christ uh, taught through his words and life. That's not what the Apostle Paul taught through his words and life. It's not only what we say, but also our actions. Our words and actions are to build one's faith in the truth, of Jesus Christ and his word. Knowledge alone can make one arrogant. And there are plenty of people, unfortunately, who have banked on their knowledge alone in scripture without it applying to their life. First Corinthians 8, 1. Now concerning things offered idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And he says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, love builds up. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yes, as he ought to know. And Paul's going back to just, if you just know it up here, you don't know anything. It's not doing you any good. It's just what? You can use your arrogance, your pride, your whatever to show others what you think you know. And uh, if it doesn't come into your life, um, it goes nowhere. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. If anyone loves God. Notice what it doesn't say. If anyone knows this stuff, has the knowledge, this one is known by God. And say that. And I've heard so much preaching and so much teaching on knowing the stuff. That's how God knows you. Anyone who loves God will be believing the truth that he or she does know. The Roman church, not long saved out of heathenism when Paul wrote this letter, had a lot to learn about God and his grace. They needed to learn to put off, as we see in Ephesians 4, and to put on. To put off and put on. The weak needed to put off the law. They were still under the law, under dietary laws. They were still under laws for themselves, making laws for themselves, if you will. The strong needed to put on love, love. Care for others. What is my words? What are my actions and my words doing uh, to others within the church? The mature were living free of the law, while the weak were attempting to follow the law, but both needed to put on love and quit fighting over, in this case, food. It's uh, sometimes it's uh, Sad, but it's really our doing that Paul will use specifics, and in this case, food, because he knew what was going on. And then on down through history, the church picks up on it's just food he's talking about. It's not, you know, how I might offend someone in other areas of my life. Um, 
and we should never do that. How does this work? What am I doing with, in my words and in my actions towards edifying others or not? Knowledge plus love lived out helps the, pers- the weak person grow strong. See, that builds our faith. That builds our faith. I remember one time as a new believer and at a, uh, our uh, camp for kids, um, I asked a question, simple question to him, uh, a missionary that was uh, there at the time, and he disgustedly gave me a few verses as if, you know, I was really stupid. No, I wasn't stupid, I was ignorant. I didn't know. That's why I asked him. That didn't build up. It just made me want not to, nothing to do with him, nor was I going to seek out his knowledge again as well. Um, we might say knowledge begets love, which begets faith, which begets strength. There's a progression, as there always should be in the, in the believer's life. If each believer would yield to the Spirit and major in a godly life, we would not have Christians fighting with each other over minor matters. The focus should always be what me and my relationship to God and how am I doing, Father, in my walk with you? Am I walking a walk in faith and therefore others seeing your love through me? Or am I uh, just, again, acquiring knowledge that I can impress people with or win the argument or whatever? But we need to be majoring in a godly life, that which regards life and uh, our Lord in everything that we say and do. The strong believer needs to grow in love. The weak believer needs to grow in knowledge. This progression... It's interesting. It's what takes place in a godly home. (laughs) God gave us family for different reasons, but one reason, and I think the primary one, is because the family is what is meant to illustrate our relationship with God. When we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, God becomes our Father. When we're brand new in Christianity, as I was an adult man of 31, I was a child, an infant, that knew nothing, not even why there were two testaments. And I needed to grow in knowledge, and I needed to grow by those with knowledge loving me into maturity, if you will. When I teach our family classes, I bring to the attention of pastors and potential pastors to be sure to see the parallel between the man and his family and the pastor and his church. A godly dad loves his children, and because of that, love sees that they grow in knowledge. He doesn't allow his children to remain ignorant all of their life. I want you to learn, and we're talking about a godly father, I want you to learn all you can, all I can give you uh, about my Lord, And the more I love and God's love towards my children, the more that they're going to want to know and have the knowledge of God for their own lives. A leader in the church is to do the same thing. 
He first must grow in knowledge and apply it to his heart. To his heart. Again, we have to get out of the brain thing where the brain is the center of us. It isn't. It's where we uh, receive and retain knowledge. But God says he's interested in the heart. That's where he wants to work. That's where, because that's where he wants to bring us into a relationship and understanding our relationship with him. The pastor then models Christ's love to his church family. He will then be more effective in passing on knowledge. And the church grows to being a strong, healthy church in doctrine according to godliness. In doctrine according to godliness. I don't know if you're ever running into anybody that come out of church on a Sunday morning. Do you know how smart I am because of what I learned today? <laughs> Better do you know how less ignorant I am, and uh, I hope it's uh, taken hold. So it's, it, it's full knowledge, because the Bible, again, never takes away from knowledge. God wants us to know. But there's full knowledge in the word, and Peter exhorted the readers of his second letter in 3.18 to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace is what Jesus Christ came filled with. And we're to grow in that, that grace, that perfect love that he had for all those um, in his creation and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to knowledge, we need to think beyond what we think we know. And this is why God gives us the word of God. We can know a lot, especially on what we can understand in this world, some people have high IQs and they can know enormous amounts of stuff. Um, some don't have that uh, ability and not know as much. Um, but we all think on a horizontal. We think on what we know, what we've experienced here, and that's where we think. The Bible is given to us, and at salvation, to know our God, which takes our thinking and elevates it. And this is the worst thing in Christianity, and that is that so much of teaching from the Word of God is taught in error where we denigrate God rather than lift our thinking up to who He truly is and who He truly is in our lives when we know him and believe his word. Often the Greek word for knowledge goes beyond the bare facts um, to a fuller knowledge or experiential knowledge. The Greek word is epigenosis. Theologians and people that like to stay in their own thinking like the full knowledge as facts, all right? We know the full knowledge of facts. If you know the word rightly divided to the last jot and tittle, that's epigenosis. That is not what the Bible teaches. 
they often don't like the term. They like full knowledge. They like that term for this epigenosis, but they don't care much for the term experiential knowledge, which is what is brought in here. But the fact is that experiential knowledge means we have a personal God that wants to be a part of my life here, and I'll have experiences to prove it, to prove it, to prove that God is here, and he protected me in my infancy at different times when more mature Christians would have and they didn't do it purposely, but they would have led me astray, led me back into where I'd just come out of, back into drunkenness. And I still uh, feel what I felt at times like those when uh, good, well-meaning Christians were leading me back to my old way of thinking and doing things. They were mature enough to understand that I wasn't, and it was a horrible place to be. I learned early in my Christianity that God is involved in my life because he drew me out of these. He protected me from different situations that I couldn't see myself how to get out of. So I knew very early that God, no, he's involved in my life and more than just what I know of the written word. Jesus, God with us, living among his people, said the following in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Justice and mercy, of course, had to do with people and their attitude towards them the Pharisee attitude towards them, while faith is about believing and trusting God. All right, so it had to do with people. Jesus says you're not looking at people and their needs. You're looking at how to obey the law to the letter, and the only reason one that would do that would be to gain brownie points, if you will, with God. I do this all to better than John Doe. God's going to like me better. That's a denigration of God. That's not the God who is. They were attempting to follow the letter of the law and miss what is most important to God, the heart, and it being built up. People could see the part of the scripture the Pharisees did believe, but found only hypocrisy in their actions towards people. Today in grace, we could rewrite this verse and say, you weak follow through on the dietary laws, and you mature, stand fast in your liberty, but ignore the grace of building up the faith in others through God's love. The law we understand, that's on the horizontal. We understand the law. Uh, we understand how much it's being ignored today, not followed through, uh, where there's little justice and mercy uh, going on in many places. Uh, we understand the law. But a loving relationship with God, our creator, takes faith. A loving relationship with God, our creator, takes faith. 
that takes us believing him and what he says about our new relationship. One com excuse me just a minute. One commentator writes, our word church is connected with civilized organizations of religious people. Our Lord's attitude to the church is different. He says it is composed of those who have had a personal revelation from God as to who Jesus Christ is and have made it a public declaration of the same. The church, and he goes on, the church is a separated band of people who are united to God by the regeneration power of the Spirit. And the bedrock of membership in the church is that we know who Jesus is by a personal revelation of him. The indwelling Spirit is the supreme guide, and he keeps us absorbed with our Lord. The emphasis today is placed on the furtherance of an organization. The note is we must keep this thing going. If we are in God's order, the thing will go. If we are not in his order, it won't. And I end this quote there. What he is saying is we get caught up like the Pharisees in doing rather than believing often turning the church into a business and attempting to keep the business business as usual. When we believe, we are absorbed with the truth, with the Lord, his truth, and his spirit guides us into the work that he has prepared for us. It becomes a beautiful, natural thing. God is my father. And I know more and more of the love and acceptance of my Lord. And I more and more walk realizing his presence and the direction he wants me to go and the things he wants me to do, the work that he's prepared for me. And the work isn't always what the pastor or leadership says it is. <laughs> Often the emphasis is on building up the building and getting people to lock step into goose-stepping like the Germans in World War II. Everybody doing the same thing the same way with the same mindset and all this other stuff. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our Lord has created us all different, and he has some pretty peculiar people in his church. And uh, just look at today's preacher, and you can agree with that. The lack of Christ's love can and often does destroy the church. Verse 20 in our, in our text, to not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. So we can destroy the work of God. We can do it, and the church has done it all through history. Only our Lord knows how many churches have split or been destroyed or by destroying God's work in, in the process. Paul is adamant about what this is. All things indeed are pure, but what? It is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is evil. Here we see what Jesus was very clear on. Only God is good, so whatever is not of God is evil. It's evil. See, it isn't a 
thing like just happened out west in the murder of those four uh, students, that's evil. Yeah, that's an extreme evil in our eyes. It should be. But anywhere that we're not responding in faith to God and his guidance in our life or in his word, it's evil to him. It's not good. Jesus said only God is good. And when we went outside of God's word, outside of God's will, it's evil. See, there are no gray areas in a godly Christian walking by faith. There are no gray areas. Oh, yeah, can I do this and get away with it? And God doesn't frown on it? Sure. But am I tearing down, am I destroying the work of God and doing what I can do? Then it's evil. Then it's evil because I'm not. I'm not where God wants me to be. He wants me to be involved in building up people, not tearing down in my freedom that he has given me. See, verse 21 makes clear what the work of God is. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So it's very clear in that, isn't it? What am I doing? How does it affect others? See the word, the question, remember the question, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, Well, we are in a sense. We are in a sense. Uh, do we truly want to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ? Then we need to uh, be sensitive to the Spirit of God in, in our lives. And uh, is this offending or not? Example of that, <laughs> a pastor in his older age, he's in his 60s, and he began to truly see his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he was like a child. <laughs> He'd been in the Word for a long time, and now he's really embracing the relationship he had with the Lord Jesus Christ. But in some ways, he was still weak because he learned that we don't have to say out loud in Jesus' name when we pray over our food, or we don't have to pray over our food. You know, God says, be thankful for it. He learned these things. But you know what he did with them? He went around offending people with them people that didn't understand these things. And he just, you know, and it was arrogant, I'm sorry to say, arrogant the way he coming across in his freedom. And it offended a lot of people eventually. Uh, it was a big part of splitting the church. See, no, we have to, what am I doing? Am I building up in my actions, in my words, or am I tearing down? Am I destroying? And this is what we need to think about. Am I destroying the work of God? in somebody's life. If we believe, have faith in the truth for us today, we have freedom within ourselves without having to force it on others. Verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And again, condemnation for the Christian is what we bring on ourselves. (laughs) God has no condemnation for the, for the Christian. But we do if we do things that uh, should be condemned. He's given us a conscience. The Spirit of God makes us more sensitive when we're walking yielded to him. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. 
and we'll probably deal with this more in the, another time we're together. It is the disqualifier for us all. If it's not of faith, it's sin. It's not of faith. It takes the rug right out from under us, the foundation out from under us that uh, we can uh, be better than somewhere else. Any place I'm not believing the Word of God and the Word of God for me today is sin. When I offend my brother doing something that uh, I know that I'm free to do, it's sin in all other areas of lives. Um, I... When I, the first year, I actually, I was at BBI 20-some years ago, and, uh, and I started this verse waiting for the class to finish it because some, some of them were strong Christians coming out of grace churches, and, everything, and no one did. And I talked to somebody about that. I can't believe nobody knew that verse. And he just simply said, we don't like that verse. <laughs> it's too convicting. The weak must learn from the strong, and the strong must love the weak. No Christian can borrow another person's convictions unless each one of us know them and practice them by faith. We're sinning. We're sinning. We can't, we'll never be able to stand before the Lord and say, My pastor didn't tell me that. I was in my book. <laughs> We can't do that. We have to come to our own convictions of the truth of God's word in our walk with him. In different passages of scripture, Paul writes how he communicated in more than just words, and it parallels our passage here. In Acts 20.35, Paul states, I have shown you, talking to the Ephesian elders, in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. My actions have shown you this, my life. He could have said, the, what I preached at you, you should know better. No, Paul could say, from my life, you should know these things. And then he writes, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And then he writes what Jesus must have told him, the risen Lord. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We know this without the Lord, don't we, at Christmas time? People learn that, wow, it's a joy to give to people. It's fun. It's, we think through the presents and everything like that. As an unsaved man, I love Christmas time. You know, I didn't care what it was about, uh, but I love the fact of being able to give to others and see, you know, and blessed by uh, giving. But as we looked at earlier, the knowledge of the word is meant to bring us to the knowledge of God. Paul prays twice in his letter to the Ephesians about the knowledge of God. Number one, 1 Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the written word. Doesn't say that, does it? In the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. We get that through the written word. The word is extremely important. Uh, none of us would give up our Bibles. Uh, because that's what takes us to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's godly people. And Paul told them that. Here, here are people walking by faith. And he tells them that. And he prays for more and more. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of glory. 
may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. And then in Ephesians 3.19, which has become one of my uh, most beloved uh, passages, Paul's prayer here, and it culminates in, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, here, here guys, here people, see, thinking on the horizontal, we still think we can get around this, but what does he say so very clearly, and he does it in other places in Scripture, it passes knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond our mental. And more and more as we walk by faith, we experience the love of God in our lives. We do, if we truly went to the cross of Calvary and seen what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. That affected us here. That was an experience when it was a reality to me. This is what Jesus did for me. Paul then writes the results of the knowledge of God and Christ's love that passes knowledge. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, the power of his love and in and through us. And God does some things. He still does miracles today. He still does miracles today. I'm going to show you something in a minute, some things, and, uh, and to show you that. Now, people that insist on staying here, they're going to reject it. But people that have walked with the Lord, and these many people, and what I'm just going to talk about, uh, you will never get it. It'll take the Lord himself when they get home to convince them that this wasn't his work. All right? And... Uh, is a beautiful time in my life, another time that really built up uh, my faith in the Lord even more, even though I thought I had quite a bit then. <laughs> uh, I, Dean Reinheimer, um, a student at school, uh, everybody loved him, and uh, he got married and ended up in a place in Eaton, Indiana. And... Uh, he ended up having seizures, and he had them so bad he couldn't work, couldn't do anything, but basically stay home, and uh, so he did. And I got wind of the fact that his house was leaking all over the place, and he and his bride had no way of taking care of things. All right. So what I did, and before I go on, when I learned of Dean's leaking roof, I had knowledge for quite a while by then that if good comes to mind, it's not of me, but of my father. So I knew what our commentator meant when we wrote what I just read. The church is a separated band of people who are united to God by the regeneration power of the Spirit and the bedrock of membership in the church is that we know who Jesus is by a personal revelation of him. And the indwelling spirit is a supreme guide, and he keeps us absorbed with our Lord. And again, this is where he, puts, he can put things on our heart as to what he wants us to do. So it's not so much that I was thinking of these things that I'm talking about, of edifying at the time, but because I was learning to allow him to be my guide. 
So I knew what had to be done and needed to be done, and I asked a number of guys uh, to join, people at New Dean, uh, join me in going down there and fixing Gene's roof. Um, even the church where they attended, which was a long, quite a ways from where they lived, and, uh, and asked them if, if uh, they wanted to join in putting uh, Dean and his wife on a new roof. So I got Father guided each one in the in the who participated, and uh, four men uh, decided that they could. Now it's very important that a lot of others wanted to join us, and they just couldn't. That guy back there, uh, Justin, you know, at that stage of his life, anytime you mention the word physical work, work. <laughs> I'm kidding. As usual, Justin had his, uh, uh, Pastor Lynn had his uh, plate full. You were at school at the time, I believe, uh, in, uh, uh, yeah, learning more about medicine. Um, So four men, they committed to it. Uh, We needed to give up a weekend, and we needed to pay for the travel and motel and the material for Dean's Roof because they had nothing. I, and again, I checked with Dean's church, and a dozen men said they would help. I learned of a Menards near Dean's and was able to order and pay for the material and have it delivered before we ever got, ever got there. Uh, and, I, and I also ordered a dumpster because we had to take the roof off. The... Five of us arrived on Friday from Wisconsin, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina. Uh, Over the weekend, I know the combined, we put over 3,000, maybe close to 4,000 miles on our vehicles. We got there, the roof material was all there, sitting out front, beautiful, but no dumpster. Do you know what the pile of stuff we, this roof had like, Three layers of shingles and a layer of shakes on it. That's why we could not put another roof over what was there. It just wouldn't last, wouldn't do the work. So no dumpster. That turned out to be a blessing in disguise because had the dumpster been there, we'd have spent a lot of time putting stuff in the dumpster, and we wouldn't have made the weekend. Uh, we wouldn't have got done. All right. I told the guys when we got together, if you follow my instructions and we break up into teams, we'll be able to get this done by Sunday night. And at that time, of course, I was still looking at a dozen men showing up the next day. And uh, Saturday came around, and folks, if you looked at a weather map, it rained everywhere in Indiana except on Eaton, Indiana. Now, I don't know whether that's true. I do know it didn't rain on us. Not a drop. And we were able to work all day long on it. The churchmen, again, lived quite a ways away. They were being rained on. They didn't show up. They saw the same weather report that we did. It's raining everywhere in Indiana. We're not going up there. So it's still down to the five of us. And as I, we, we, we had to take off three layers of shingles 
and one of Cedar Shakes, which, as we pointed out, is one of the dirtiest jobs you'll ever have, you ever see, be a part of. And then we had to put OSB down because the shakes are on slats that are separated. And lay plywood, lay felt, and re-shingle. And I told the guys, we got to do this. We got to finish what we start on each section of the roof before we quit at night because otherwise it'll rain on our hosts. All right, so we did that. And uh, we worked past dark and probably got back to the motel 10, 11 o'clock. No rain. We woke up in the morning, and it must have looked like Noah's rain in the night while we were sleeping. There was a lake in our parking lot. <laughs> I mean... It just dumped <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, had we not uh, finished each section of the roof, I think our host probably would have drowned in their beds. But uh, anyway, <laughs> beautiful day Sunday. We stopped for an hour for a service and finished about 10 o'clock at night working with lights on. On those days, Dr. Bedore had no sense of humor on me missing teaching my classes, which I had on Monday. So Tim and I left after our farewell supper about 11 p.m. that night to drive back to Wisconsin. About 1 a.m., yeah, 1 a.m., we were on a county road going across Indiana, and a lady, a young mother, that flagged us down. Now, you don't want to stop in an area like that. Uh thinking something could be up, but I said, Tim, we can't leave her there. So turned around, went back, and I and she was out of gas. So we pulled over behind her. We called the uh, police, and they come out with gas. We don't know only the Lord what knows what might have happened to this young mother had we been there. You know, again, crossed our paths. Other people would have been on the expressway, but this was a little shorter. So, again, God at work. <clears throat> all right, so Sunday night we got all done, like I said, and we, we, uh, we had left, but uh, there are some of us didn't have to be back on Monday. They stayed around, and as Pastor Kern pointed out, they did the last section of the roof on the next day. All right. And this is more on the humorous side. God called us there to re-roof Dean's house. And this one section, again, it had new shingles on it, but it needed, it was good to get it redone. There's this tree in Dean's yard, dead tree. Wasn't bothering anything, nothing, no, not dangerous or anything. And they thought that they would help Dean out and cut that down. He cut it down, knocked out, it fell on the power lines and knocked the power out in the whole neighborhood. <laughs> I don't believe God called us to do that that weekend. <laughs> Again, I didn't, none of us did this in planning of edifying anyone. There was a need, and we followed through along with others what our Lord would have us to do. And he brought us kind of down to Gideon's band. We were looking for a bunch of guys to, to help us out. Our, ho our hosts were edified, and each one of us were edified as we experience what God would and could do to those who respond to, by faith in, to his will. 
But there's more to this story, and it gives me goosebumps every time I think about it. And Christopher, if you'll put up number four right now. I don't know if you can see it. Late Sunday evening, before it got dark, one of the guys pointed out to me, here's this clear blue sky and here's a cloud over here, and it's coming right at us. And I looked at it, and I laughed, and I said, ah, oh, there's no rain in that cloud. And uh, <laughs> famous last words. That cloud came right over us and sprinkled on us just enough for God to give us that rainbow. And then number five, Christopher. It was a rainbow that framed our house and our crew. And uh, it, was, it was as though our father was saying, well done, my good and faithful servants. You folks can take that, any of you can take that in any direction you want to, but for those of us there and involved in it, we have a God that's involved in our lives. We have a God that does things, that builds our faith so that we can build others' faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by one by which one may edify another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Uh, Father, it's a difficult thing for us to come to the realization that the all-powerful, all-knowing creator God can be such a personal God that you're involved in our lives and you grow us and you change us and you fill us as we believe in you with your love love for others, care for others. And Father, if all your children would, uh, again, believe the same, believe in you, believe in your involvement in their lives, how different the church would be, how different your work would be, how many people would be in your fold, how many more. Father, because we all seek to build up one another and uh, see that you are glorified. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for our time and your truth as we praise you in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.